0: Let's pray before we seek to understand God's word. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can, as your people now, gather around your word. Uh, Please would you humble our hearts uh, that we would be putting into practice uh, what we understand from it. Please give me wisdom as I seek to preach it, for your glory. Amen. When I was about 16, uh, I remember going down to a local gym. I was with my cousin and a friend who just lived down the road. It was the first time I'd ever been to a gym. I really wasn't that familiar with them at all. It was safe to say I was totally clueless as to how to operate gym equipment safely. But I was with my friends. I wanted to look really cool. So I went up to one of the most complicated machines I could find and pretended I knew how to use it. Of course, I didn't have a clue how to really use it, but I just pretended, I just went along with it. One of the gym instructors came up to me and very helpfully offered to uh, give me a hand, show me how to use the piece of equipment properly. Uh, But I was with my mates. I I didn't want to be seen getting help from anyone. So I shrugged him off, said, no, thank you, it's okay, I know what I'm doing. It only took a few moments to realise that I was using my arms when I should have been using my legs. So I got terribly tangled up in metal wire. Uh, The gym instructor made a point of showing my mistake in front of all of my friends, in front of the entire gym. And I was really embarrassed. There are many times in life when, due to our own pride or arrogance or ignorance, we trust ourselves when we should trust someone else. I knew that instructor could show me how to use that piece of equipment properly but my pride got in the way. I should have trusted him, but instead I arrogantly trusted in my own wisdom. There's one verse I'd like us to keep in mind as we go through these chapters in 1 Samuel. It's chapter 12, verse 14. If you could flick back uh, back to that, that'd be great. And for those who weren't able to join us last week or since the beginning of our series, uh, this is the story of Samuel retiring uh, as leader of Israel. We saw that back in chapter 12, and we saw his final speech last week. Uh, Saul has now been enthroned as king of Israel, so Samuel, uh, who was the leader, has to now step down. And his one aim in this speech was that the Israelites would recognise their wickedness in in asking for this king, King Saul. In other words, rejecting the king they already had. Uh, God himself. Well, the Israelites eventually recognise their sin. They eventually recognise what they've done wrong. And we are left with this offer of grace. Chapter 12, verse 14. Read it with me. If you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands and if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God chapters 13 to 15 which we're looking at today tell us how the king failed how Saul missed the mark completely and we're showing this most clearly in two incidents, one in chapter 13 one in chapter 15 and they're going to be what we're focusing on today so please come back with me to chapter 13 I'm going to start looking verse the, towards the end of verse 7 Chapter 13, verse 7b. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, uh, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. Uh, we find Saul in a pretty nasty situation he's between a rock and a hard place Uh, earlier his son Jonathan had made a rather rash decision to invade a Philistine outpost so Saul had summoned the army to Gilgal for battle the Philistines turn up as well and it's clear that they are the far superior force they've got far more advanced weaponry so when the Israelites look at their enemy uh, they quake with fear Uh, they begin to scatter. They believe their chances of victory are really slim. So Saul begins to panic as well. You see, he had been told by Samuel to wait up to seven days for him before he actually goes into battle. It it was Samuel's duty, as God's prophet, to offer the sacrifices to the Lord. Uh, This was how the people would know, or would recognize that God was the one who would deliver them in this battle. But Samuel hadn't turned up. He was late. Uh, the men were scattering. Saul is losing control. So verse 9, he said, Bring the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Uh, Saul decides to offer the sacrifices up himself. Even though that was Samuel's duty. Or well, wouldn't you know it, as soon as Saul is finished offering the burnt offering... Samuel arrives verse 10 just as he finished making the offering Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him Samuel asked Saul what what have you done? Saul replies well the men were scattering and you were late the Philistine army were huge and I thought we were going to be annihilated so I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering in your place it's a paraphrase but it's pretty close You fool, Samuel says. You haven't kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had done, you would have allowed your kingdom to endure forever. But now it won't. Instead, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people. This is really tough, isn't it? Uh, I imagine some of us here can't help but feel a little bit sorry for Saul at the moment he was in a really difficult situation one massive army was facing him his own line of offence was dissolving and the prophet who was supposed to offer up these sacrifices was late before we start judging Saul let's ask ourselves what would we have done had we been in his situation would we have waited for Samuel uh, would we have trusted God's word, that's the issue here it's one of trust Saul had the command to wait seven days by Samuel God's prophet he knew it was Samuel's job to offer these sacrifices and he realised how important these sacrifices were before they went into battle but Saul didn't trust God he leaned on his own understanding God's way is always the right way, no matter what the situation. There may be times in our lives when we are called to trust God in situations as serious as Saul's. It's rare, but it could happen. But even if that isn't the case, we are called to trust God at all times, in all situations. We may be really tempted to rely on our own experience. On our own rationality. But if that experience, if our own rationality goes in the face of God's word, it's folly to follow it. Saul had lost his throne because he trusted his own instincts rather than God. He presumed to replace God's prophet Samuel rather than submit to him as he should have done. This is Saul's first failure as king of God's people. Chapter 14 gives us a brief description of how the Lord uh, delivers the Israelites from the hands of the Philistines and reveals more of Saul's failings. We're going to be going through it really briefly, uh, for lack of time. It starts with Jonathan launching a daring attack again on another Philistine outpost. It's only him and his armor bearer so they're clearly outnumbered. There are only two of them. But Jonathan trusts God. He trusts that God is able to deliver them the victory that they need. Even though there are only two of them, they killed 20 men. But God wasn't just finished with those 20 men. He goes on to send confusion into the Philistine camp where they were based. Uh, We read in verse 15 that panic struck them, a panic sent by God. Saul's look out, see what's going on, and starts to wonder, what is going on? Saul is slightly confused as well. All the men, as far as he knows, are, are with him. So how can there be an upset in the Philistine camp? Well, he orders a quick roll call, and soon enough, he finds out his son Jonathan and Jonathan's armor bearer, they are missing. Saul's clearly, completely out of touch with what's really going on. So he finally decides to consult the Lord in a very dangerous manner uh, by asking for the Ark of the Covenant. But halfway through his conversation with the priest who was with the Ark, he changes his mind. He goes straight into battle. Uh, At the time when he should have been listening, he acts instead on his own understanding. When the Israelite army arrive at the Philistine camp, things are a real mess. The Philistines are killing each other. The Hebrews, who are a group of uh, mercenaries from the surrounding regions, uh, decide not to fight for the, Hebrews, uh, for the Philistines after all, and instead join the army, I mean, the Israelites. Hearing the news, the rest of the Israelites, who have been hiding from the Philistines for fear of their own lives, come out and they're ready to do battle as well. Verse 23. So the Lord rescued Israel that day, and the battle moved on beyond their favor. Certainly with no help from Saul, uh, the one who was supposed to deliver his people. That's why the people had asked for this king, that he might deliver them from their enemies, fighting their battles for them. Well, it seems Saul's stupidity knew no end. Come with me to verse 24. Now the men of Israel were in distress that day, because Saul had bound the people under oath, saying, Curse be any man who eats food before evening comes, before I have avenged myself of my enemies. So none of the troops tasted food. That's clever, isn't it? Uh, The Israelites were facing an enemy who vastly vastly outnumbers them, who had far more sophisticated weaponry And so Saul, in his infinite wisdom, decides to make a vow forbidding them to eat anything until the evening. Not only were the men to fight this terrifying enemy with poor weaponry, they were to do it in hunger as well. It's a really stupid vow for Saul to make. But it was a vow all the same, made by Saul before God, so it was still very serious. People had to obey it, but it seems Jonathan, Saul's son, hadn't got the message. He hadn't heard his father put all the men under this stupid oath. So as he enters a wood full of honey with the rest of the army, he decides to have a snack. He would have been exhausted after the fighting. It's quite natural, really. Of course, none of the other men would touch it out of fear of Saul and this oath that they were under. But they see Jonathan do so, and they tell him afterwards the serious consequences that are facing him because he's eaten that honey. Well, Jonathan's reply to them isn't uh, one of fear, it isn't one of remorse or regret. His reply instead is really judgmental. He said that his father had made trouble for Israel that day, that he had acted foolishly as the leader. the the honey Jonathan had eaten had given him great energy and he accuses his father Saul of forbidding such a wonderful gift for the rest of his people when they so desperately needed it. The slaughter of the Philistines would have been that much greater had they been allowed to eat. But instead, they were traipsing through woods trying to search out the Philistines that had got away because of the poor state of the army, because of their lack of stamina. Saul in his foolishness had stopped one of Israel's greatest enemies being dissolved. It was his wish when he put this oath on the people that he would avenge himself of his enemies. That the Philistines would actually be wiped out. And that's exactly what he prevented through this oath. Further down in verse 36, we see that the people are pretty annoyed with Saul. He hadn't been a good leader in battle. So any suggestion that they continue to go after the Philistines and plunder them during the night, they respond, Do whatever seems best to you. You can sense they're not very happy. They've got little faith left in their new king. The priest steps up and suggests that Saul consult the Lord as to what to do next. So Saul asks God, "Uh, What shall I do? Uh, Shall I go after the enemy? Will you deliver them into my hands? But there's no reply. God isn't happy either. So Saul gathers all the leaders of the army to find out the culprit who had sinned against the Lord, who had made him angry. He commands all of them to stand away from him and his son Jonathan and swears that whoever has committed this sin will die, even if it's his own son. Have you ever been in one of those moments when you hear someone say something rather rash and you understand the consequences of what they're saying better than they do. It creates quite an uneasy atmosphere. Uh, You're not sure what to say. You're quite embarrassed. That's exactly how Saul's men felt. Not one of them would say a word. They all knew that it was Jonathan, Saul's son, that had broken the oath. It was Jonathan who had sinned. But none of them can bring themselves to say it. Saul prays to the Lord that he might be given the right answer, and he is. The men are cleared. The Lord is cast between him and his son, and of course Jonathan is found guilty. Jonathan confesses to what he did in ignorance, tasting that forbidden honey, and Saul is about to kill him. Well, now the men do speak up. There's no way they're going to allow, even if he's the king, King Saul, to kill his own son, after that same son delivered them from their enemy. No, they recognize that with God's help, Jonathan was the one who had won this great battle for them. So they rescued him from Saul. Saul doesn't bother with the Philistines anymore, uh, so they're allowed to remain in the land. And in verse 52, we read that they continue to be one of Israel's enemies throughout Saul's reign. Saul had failed on two counts during this small campaign. First, he had failed to be the king the people wanted. He hadn't delivered the people from their enemy. His son Jonathan had done that for him. Instead, he had starved them when they needed their energy most during this battle. And now this enemy, that he was supposed to vanquish, remained as a threat in the land. But secondly, and far more importantly, he failed to be the king that God wanted. He had been disobedient. He had trusted in his own wisdom, uh, rather than God's word. At the time when it really counted, at the time he really needed to listen, he didn't. He acted instead. Saul's kingship was not reflecting God's will. That Saul would be the ruler of God's people under him. But if you think things are bad now, come with me to chapter 16, where we see Saul fall even further. Samuel is bringing Saul a message, direct from the Lord. Pick it up in verse 2 with me. Sorry, uh, chapter 15, verse 2 this is what the Lord Almighty says I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them do not spare them put to death men and women children and infants cattle and sheep camels and donkeys the Lord was instating what's known as a royal ban, uh, a religious vow of total destruction. It had a sacrificial aspect to it. Even the animals were to be killed as well. Every part of the Amalekite nation was to be handed over to the Lord in light of their wickedness. Every one of them were to be destroyed. Now messages didn't come much clearer than this. Messages don't come much simpler So how did Saul do? Well he certainly rises to the task. He summons all the men, 210,000 of them. And heads for the city of Amalek. The stronghold of the Amalekite nation. God gives him a great victory over the city. Read with me verse 7 to 9 then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur to the east of Egypt he took Agag king of the Amalekites alive and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword but Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle the fat calves and lambs everything that was good these they were unwilling to destroy completely but everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed The Lord is grieved. He's grieved that he's made Saul king. Saul has not been faithful. He has not kept the command of his Lord. Early the next morning, Samuel heads out to find Saul. He soon hears that he's actually heading in the wrong direction. He's told that Saul has erected a monument in honour of himself. So much for Saul being a humble leader of God's people. Samuel soon catches up with Saul, who seems very happy with himself indeed. As soon as Saul sees Samuel, he shouts to him, ''The Lord bless you! I have carried out the Lord's instructions!'' Samuel knew this was a lie. He could hear the livestock Saul was supposed to wipe out in the background. They weren't making the kind of noises you would expect from dead animals. Now the livestock that Saul was supposed to destroy were very much alive. So Samuel challenges him over it. Verse fourteen. Oh what then is this policing of sheep in my ears? Oh what is the known of cattle I hear? Well in response Saul tries to shift the blame. Verse fifteen. Oh the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Oh so it was the soldiers' fault now. Uh, Soldier didn't feel it was to blame at all. But that doesn't satisfy Samuel. Samuel said, Stop! Verse 16. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Well, oh, tell me, Samuel replied. Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission, saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce and eat plunder, and do evil in the eyes of the Lord?' Saul's adamant that he's still done the right thing. Verse 20. But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Do you notice how Saul keeps on saying, the Lord your God? It seems he didn't consider the Lord his God anymore, just Samuel's. And he still hadn't confessed to his direct violation to the Lord's command. Instead he had put forward a pithy argument that the plunder was to be sacrificed to the Lord instead at Gilgal. But what God wanted wasn't sacrifice. Samuel replies, verse 22... Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. What God wanted was obedience to his word. But Saul had rejected the word by which God ruled his king and his people. So God in turn rejected him as the king of his people. There's a stern warning to us here, friends. What God wants from people is not mere religion. Rather, he wants us to be humbly obedient to his word. we may claim to do many things in God's name. But just because we do something and say, well, it's in God's name, it doesn't mean that God is pleased with it. We need to do what he tells us to do in his word. We need to obey him. To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Verse 24. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the people, and so I gave in to them. Well, Saul finally confesses, and we see the true reason for why he spared all that livestock. It wasn't so he could offer them to God. It wasn't out of a false sense of mercy either. No, it was because he feared the people. He didn't fear the creator of the universe, just the people who were under his command. Very sad. And now he pleads for forgiveness. But not for forgiveness from the Lord. No, he wants to be forgiven by Samuel. That's rather strange. Saul said it himself that he had violated the Lord's command and now he wants to be forgiven by Samuel. Why? You'll see the answer in verse 30. I have sinned. But please honour me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. Well, here's the real reason. Saul is still more concerned about how the people will view him. He's not repenting from the heart. It's just that he wants to look good as a leader. He's happy to carry on the charade of worshipping the God whom Samuel claims to be God. No, Saul can be bothered with truth anymore. He was more bothered about face values. He was just putting on a show. That's the kind of behaviour that God despises. Unlike us, he's able to see into people's hearts. He knows their motivations. He knows Saul's real intentions. He knows our motivations. He knows why we really do what we do is religion an outward show for you Uh, are you coming to church uh, every week for the sake of someone else Uh, you do it for your wife for your husband your pastor your friends but your heart isn't really in it you don't really want God to be the ruler of your life you're not happy to trust him with that responsibility but you still go through the motions Uh, you still put on the show for the sake of the family or the friends or whoever if that's you, can I beg you, please repent from your heart. Don't deceive yourself into thinking that you can hide your true motives from God. You can't. No one can. But God is merciful. When we repent, he is gracious and he does forgive us. Samuel, in his grace, does return with Saul. at Saul's request. And then Samuel continues to do the Lord's will. Agag, this Amalekite king, was summoned, uh, and he appeared in a rather confident mood. The battle was over, he had been spared. He thought, oh, it's fine, I'll live now. Well, he was wrong. Now, Samuel puts him to death by the sword at Gilgal, and he leaves in great sorrow. Samuel mourns for Saul, as does the Lord, who continues to grieve that he had made Saul king. But God wasn't going to abandon. His purposes for his people, though. He will still give his kingdom to another, uh, one who is far better than Saul. Uh, We'll learn more about this promised king next year when we resume this series again. But we do know that this promise of a king who is totally trustworthy and obedient is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. He was the one who always trusted his father, who never grew arrogant. And boastful of himself, who remained humble unto death for our sakes, even though he was the Lord of everything, Jesus is our king today, the one the one who rules god 's people, so failed as king, the ultimate reason trust, a misplaced trust, uh, rather than trusting the Lord as his ruler, he trusted in. His own wisdom. He rationalized what he should have obeyed. He feared man rather than God. Let's be wary about falling into the same trap. Who are you going to trust with your lives? In the decisions that we make at home and in the workplace? Uh, There may be times when we're asked to do something unethical by your boss. Uh, Who will you be more concerned with obeying? Uh, Who are you going to have a greater fear of? the boss or God what about in our social lives if all our mates are getting drunk while watching the football are we going to join in if we don't we might look rather foolish in their eyes it will be tough to say no but there can only be one right answer if we're going to honour God What about when we are with a family? Uh, There may be times when we're asked to do something that we know as Christians we shouldn't do. Saying prayers to a false god, uh, worshipping a dead family member. It'll be really tough to say no. Can I just make as a point, I hear encouraging news that people are saying no to those kind of requests, and that is really encouraging. Keep it up. Because if we are going to be faithful in those situations, there can't be another answer. It has to be no. If we trust in God as our king, it will show itself in obedience. Obedience to his word. And that trust will be tested in every sphere of our lives. Let's be trusting God this week with our whole lives. I want to leave us with a proverb that's certainly helped me at times when I've questioned should I trust God or not in this difficult situation. It should be up on the screen. It's Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 to 8. Let me just read it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Know not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you that you can now rule us by it. Uh, Thank you for forgiving us uh, through Christ and reconciling us to yourself. Thank you that we can now receive the blessing of your rule. Uh, Lord, will we be living our lives in accordance to Your Word this week? And would You strengthen us to do that, trusting in You in all situations for Your glory. Amen.